Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first in a series of podcasts produced and sponsored by the IEEE ICICLE. You might want to know what ICICLE is. ICICLE is a volunteer professional organization committed to the development of learning engineering as a profession and as an academic discipline. ICICLE is part of the IEEE Standards Association's Industry Connections Program. Uh, ICICLE stands for Industry, uh, Industry Connections, Industry Consortium on Learning Engineering, but don't even try to remember that. Just stick with ICICLE. Um, and uh, uh, I think you'll, you'll certainly catch everybody and you'll understand what it's about. So hundreds of people from many different disciplines, it could be thousands actually at this point, at least in the low thousands, um, from many different disciplines have participated in ICICLE efforts and events over the past four years, people well-versed in instructional design, data architecture, XAPI, online learning, corporate training, adaptive instructional systems, and much more. And uh, they really have brought that uh, their perspectives into helping define what learning engineer is and the role that they play. Um, some of your key contacts around ICICLE are our board, um, and that is I serve as the chair of the board, um, and uh, I'm president of Matchmaker Education Labs. I'm Michael J. Um, Jesse Schwan is our uh, vice chair, and she's co-founder of Classroom Aid and Wise Ocean. Jody Liss is our secretary. She's senior advisor for learning at IntraHealth International, and Shelly Block. I always do this. Shelly Blake Plock, um, who is uh, our treasurer and is the president of Yet Analytics. Um, today we have uh, four people who I've spent a fair bit of time on the phone with and in calls, particularly with COVID going on. And um, we're, uh, we know each other well, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation around defining what is learning engineering. And um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, give some background, and then they'll introduce themselves with more detail. Um, Jim Goodell is, uh, is um, chair of the Learning Engineering Academic Curriculum and Competencies SIG. He also does a lot of other things within um, the IEEE Learning Technologies um, uh, study. What does that stand for, Jim? It's LTSC, Studies. Learning Technology Standards Committee. Standards Committee. Thank you, Jim. Um, and he is also the senior analyst at Quality Information Partners, um, QIP. So Jim, do you wanna say something about yourself? Well, I'll just say that I um, spend a lot of my time working with education and training data standards um, through with including the common education data standards, big part of my role. And I also um, have uh, involved a lot in the IEEE data standards efforts. Yeah, I think um, it's great how you play a role both on the standards development side, but also on the ICICLE side, which is really helping define this new, this new pursuit. So thank you for all that work, Jim, and all your other work around CEDS and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let me turn now to um, Aaron Kessler, who is the chair of the Learning Experience Design SIG and is senior learning scientist at MIT. Aaron, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hey, thanks. So uh, in my day job, I help faculty, instructors, and course teams at MIT uh, think about their instruction with technology, uh, both from a design and development standpoint, but also from a research and sort of um, exploring how people learn perspective. Um, so that's the, the work that I do on, on this side, uh, along with supporting some of our, our MOOC and materials in open learning. Uh, on the ICICLE side, you know, being part and the sort of leader of the Design for Learning SIG is probably one of my favorite parts of my month. So we have a, we have a meeting once a month and it is always a great conversation with great people who are passionate about um, their fields and, and making learning engineering something that uh, is inclusive to, to a lot of people and builds on the, the work that lots of people have been doing in the, in the space of instructional design and, and technology design for years and years and years. So happy to be here and be part of the conversation. Great, thanks a lot. And uh, as I try to tell people who get involved with any group, much less ICICLE, um, getting involved with these uh, SIGs and MIGs and other groups is really the heart um, of, of, uh, of getting engaged and really the exciting part of working with it. So do, do go to these SIG and MIG meetings, um, which are up on the website. 
Um, and Michelle Barrett, who is uh, VP of Research and Learning Engineering at Edmentum. So uh, Michelle, give us some of your background. Sure, thank you, Michael. And um, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. So I, as, as Michael mentioned, I'm Vice President of Research and Learning Engineering at Edmentum. Edmentum is an organization that serves K-12 education with online learning programs and services. We support millions of teachers and students. And in my role at Edmentum, I lead Edmentum's efficacy research, psychometric and learning engineering functions. And then I also serve on a steering committee that focuses on the implementation of agile practices within our organization. I serve on the board of directors for the Adaptive Instructional Systems Consortium that Michael uh, mentioned earlier, and also on the board of directors for We Can Learn, which is a nonprofit foundation with a mission to um, make a meaningful impact in education through philanthropic giving, supporting equitable and innovative learning opportunities. So I have been involved with learning engineering for some time and I chaired the AI and adaptive SIG for ICICLE in the inaugural, inaugural years of ICICLE. Wonderful, thank you so much for that, Michelle. It's great to have you here and, um, and for all you do with ICICLE, et cetera. Just in the nick of time, joining us now is Brant Darg. Brant, are you there? Well, Brant, Brant will be joining us, um, and uh, he just he just joined the call. Um, Brant is uh, the co-chair of our corporate MIG. MIGs are, uh, you know, where SIGs are special interest groups. MIGs are our market interest groups, um, really attempting to really pursue things from another perspective, and that is the market perspective. Um, Brant is the senior learning engineer um, at uh, Boeing, so you'll notice that both Michelle and Brandt have the, the term learning engineer in their titles. So uh, it's nice, you know, you would hope these would be the people who, who, who know who they are. So I think it'll help us um, address, address that. Well, Brandt doesn't seem to have his audio on yet, so we won't uh, dwell um, on this. Brandt will join us when Brandt joins us. So um, I do want you to be aware we do have a website um, and that URL, which we'll post along with uh, where you've downloaded this um, or where you're listening to this podcast. But just to tell you, the URL is sagroups, sagroups.ieee.org backslash icicle, I-C-I-C-L-E. Um, so if you go to the homepage, you can sign up to be on our email list. You can also read a lot about what ICICLE is, what we're doing, and see ways that you can get involved. So we're going to jump into the core of our conversation right now. Um, and as I said, the topic for today's podcast is what is learning engineering? So I'm going to just open this to the group. I mean, what, what do you see as being the premise for learning engineering? And in fact, why do we even need learning engineering? Um, tell me, what do you think? Well, um, Michael, learning is getting the, the problems that need to be solved to help people learn are, is getting more complex because we're in an age where um, you can't stop learning when you um, finish formal education. Um, everyone needs to be a lifelong learner. Um, things need to be learned all the time and need to be, uh, people need to learn um, new skills to keep up with um, the the fast pace of innovation in the world. And um, in order to meet those challenges, um, the old some old ways of doing things won't work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, there are some problems that are too big to be solved by one person, um, by a single teacher in a classroom or a single instruct instructional designer. Um, it, it's going to take um, multidisciplinary teams to solve some of these challenges. So building off what Jim said, I think one of the, the things I like to refer to is we're at a unique time point where there's sort of is this shift also in the way in which we are able to collect information about learning, right? So systems and the, the rise of information technology systems that are connected with learning 
afford us an opportunity to explore how people learn, the outcomes associated with their learning in ways that we, we couldn't even imagine five years ago, let alone 15 years ago. And so as that grows, as that space continues to expand, as Jim pointed out, the problems that we can start, the questions and the problems we can try to address with that information and through these systems opens up a door in ways that that really are unique and and um, provide opportunities to to think about things in in ways that just are brand new to to the field of of teaching and learning. Yeah, and 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 building off of what Aaron just shared about. Um, the the data that we're able to to collect and understand as learners go through their learning experiences and journeys. Um, I, I'll speak at, um, to this as a practitioner at Edmentum. Um, we see learning engineering, frankly, as a continuous improvement process um, because we're putting instructional materials into the world and we need to close the loop. We need to understand how those are and are not working for our learners. We need to make improvements. And so the very important piece of the cycle that the learning engineering team, at least here at Edmentum plays, is the ability to close the loop so that when we make assumptions that a particular type of instruction is going to work in a t particular type of a way with particular student in a given context, we can actually check that. There are some ways that we can look at that and understand how the, the learning outcomes are aligned with those kinds of um, activities. So it's, um, it's exciting. We don't do it alone at Edmentum. We, we partner with many um, other teams across the organization in order to make sure that the, the findings from that continuous improvement loop are, are understood and can be shared and um, that we can actually improve learner outcomes. While that, Go ahead, uh, Jim. while that continuous improvement loop is not unique to engineering, um, there are some principles from engineering, um, like engineering control theory, um, that can be applied to the learning engineering process and um, some other principles from engineering that um, are not widely applied yet, um, but we see through the um, further refinement of the process and um, helping develop more learning engineers out in the field that we can take advantage of what um, other domains of engineering have um, been able to leverage for um, huge gains in um, being able to solve very complex problems. So Jim, since our listeners come from a lot of different backgrounds, can you unpack control theory so that those who may not be so immersed? I, I will attempt to do it. Um, uh, one of, one of um, our other colleagues um, in the ICICLE community, um, Brant Red, um, tells a story to explain control theory, and I'll try to um, tell that story quickly. Um, so um, you, if you're driving in a car, and let's say you wanted to, you didn't have um, cruise control on your car, but you want the car to go to, at a constant pace, you might consider putting a brick on the accelerator pedal. And- um, All the time. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that, that could be, um, that wouldn't exactly achieve the goal for you because if you're going up a hill, um, you, you will go slower and you go down a hill, you go faster um, if the accelerator pedal is in one place. Um, but what a cruise control does is it takes feedback, it takes input from the car and knows how fast it's going and can adjust based on that input. Um, so it's kind of, it's called the closed loop. So um, the other, yep. with the brick is an open loop. Um, so the control theory um, takes advantage of how the real world works um, and, and monitoring what's happening and, and taking advantage of that closed loop. So, so in that model, I get what the parameters are. Um, I'm going up a hill, I'm meeting more resistance, there's a specific amount of pressure applied by the brick. What is the equivalent in this process when we talk about learning and, and how do we look at that and open it to any of you? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's super complex and this is where yeah. 
it starts to get into that. This is why learning engineering is so unique in that it brings the complexity into the everyday work. And right, and part of how IEEE and iSchool have have talked about learning engineering is the application of learning sciences. Right. So one place to start is understanding what we already know about how people learn and the sort of factors and contextual things that impact uh, that work and that process for, for individuals. So I think part of it starts there in understanding how we apply the learning sciences. And then part of it also is connected with how we, we instrument and collect the information to be able to close the feedback loop. So it's that data that, that Michelle was talking about and I was talking about earlier, where we're, we're trying to clearly define, well, this is what we're trying to get our students or the learners engaged in our system or in our class or in our wherever to learn. And this is how we can assess and understand the impact that we're having on that learning and feed that back into our system to understand the sort of larger impacts that we're having. So, so I think it sort of is that context, the application of learning sciences and that connecting it with instrumentation around the data to, to start to get at uh, a more holistic picture of what the learning process uh, looks like so that we can then improve it over time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a really important piece of the, the definition that's been put forward from uh, ICICLE related to learning engineering, which um, Aaron, Aaron just spoke about applying the learning sciences, and he spoke about data-informed decision-making and instrumenting so that we can collect data. There's another key piece of it, and Jim, Jim may be able to just provide the uh, the, the definition off the top of his head, but I think that there's a there, there's a component in there that speaks to human-centered design methodologies, and I think that this is a really important um, piece of of how a learning engineer goes about thinking about the work that they're doing. Um, it it is not a, a job to sit back in your office and um, just look at data and and say, ah, well, this must be happening. It is an incredibly complex ecosystem that our learners learn in. And you have to um, be engaged with those people who are in those contextual environments, your teachers, um, your learners, your administrators. I, I, we work in K-12, so there is a lot um, that goes on at the administrative level in our school systems and such. And you actually have to, to work with and really understand the kinds of problems that are being encountered by those people in that educational ecosystem um, as part of the work that you're doing is a very foundational part of the work that you're doing. For those that are listening to this, I'm shaking my head very hard on our call because I'm agreeing with Michelle. And I'll take it a step further. One of the things on the on the iSchool website you'll see is a it's a description of the learning engineering process broadly. And, and one of the things that we talk about in that space is the sort of putting the, the challenge that's trying to be addressed central, but also realizing that that challenge is situated in very complex context, as Michelle was just pointing out. And without being able to understand all of the nuance that goes into that, you can have a hard time making sense of the data, right? And so you've got to be able to make those connections. And that becomes a really critical part of the collaborative effort around this. You know, it's not just data science. It's not just teaching. It's not just um, learning engineer. You know, it's all of those things together, collectively coming together to, to think about these challenging problems and come up with solutions to them. You know, for, for future podcasts, I'm going to get sleigh bells to attach to your heads because then we could actually hear this nodding, which has really been happening with everybody here. So um, uh, a question, because of this complexity that you're describing, I mean, we want to be able to generalize information just to try to understand how we can work with a variety of different environments. Do we have any hope of doing that given this complexity that you're describing? Is, is really each implementation a one-off? Um, how do we reconcile that within learning engineering? Yeah, well, I'll say yes and no. Um, <laughs> in, in, in some ways, um, we have overgeneralized, um, see, because we've been thinking about from a scientific, scientific perspective, if you just look at the learning science, you're looking at, um, you want to find on average, what works for learners. Um, The engineering approach looks more at the outliers and wants to find what are the boundaries and where does this solution 
not work for a set of learners. Um, where if you're purely looking at it from a scientist's perspective, you may um, discard some of the outlier data as noise so that you can mm -hmm. find the average result. Um, so, so, so part of it is, yes, through this process, we're going to discover some more generalizable understanding about learning. Um, but we need to pay attention to those outlier conditions in, in context. And if you look at the description of the process on the website, that's an important part is um, that a learner is situated within a particular context and you can't ignore that context. Um, uh, so the other thing is that we tend to have, going back to the control theory, we tend to look at, um, we have, there's feedback, but it tends to be at a very high level. So it's multi-year efficacy, efficacy studies of something. And that's good, mm -hmm. uh, but learning engineering also needs to tighten that feedback loop and um, have uh, quicker iterations. Yeah, and, and I'll say that sort of connects also with, you know, some of the work coming out of the, for years coming out of learning sciences with like design-based implementation work and, and sort of iterative design processes and sort of um, human-centered design where it sort of is the quick feedback loop with, with not fully developed systems, but instead with prototypes and, and improving them rapidly, right? So th there's, there's history of how to do some of that work within larger fields. To answer your question a little bit, Michael, uh, yeah. about the generalizable sort of aspect of, of some of it. Uh, Jim's right. It depends, right? So, so one of the things that I think is unique about learning engineering is that it shines a light on the things we've kind of been ignoring for a little while in terms of those outliers. And, and it shines a light on, it can shine a light on where we need to do better as people and communities that support learning uh, globally. Um, but it also opens the door to more open types of potential science, right? Where, where we are sharing results more openly, where we are trying to help other people who are doing learning engineering understand better the cases and the, the exemplars of what we've accomplished and, and how we've accomplished it so that they may take up the pieces that make sense for the communities they're trying to support. Um, so all of those things become part of the process and become part of the how we report out uh, what we've done and accomplished within the learning engineering process. Right. Um, Michelle, can you share with us? <laughs> I, much as I respect the the academic approach, Aaron's doesn't have to deliver the kind of product that you do, Michelle. So how do you turn that into? Or maybe he does. I don't want to. I don't want to. But um, Michelle, you you're working for an organization that has to deliver a product that's purchased. By users, how does that? How does that? How do you turn this into a real product? Yeah. So, um, so I was I was uh, just about to comment related to to you know that these these notions and ideas around complexity, um, which are absolutely true. Within that complexity, we can still find patterns that are useful. At Inventum, we call it the short cycle. Um, research. So, so you know, as, a, as opposed to the multi-year efficacy studies, which we do um, conduct as well, but in those short cycle research, there are ways that you can apply these ideas and principles and analytics um, that help to, uh, you know, uncover uh, issues that you might actually have in your product, right? So there, there might be um, things that are not working well for learners and you can identify those with the outliers. I, I think that that's one of the reasons that you hear me describing learning engineering is continuous improvement for us because everything that we learn, we try to turn into something actionable that we can do within product that will improve the learning outcomes. And that, that can mean you know, in some cases, we're improving what we, um, th those outcomes for a subset of the learners who are using our products. We might be able to detect patterns that tell us that, you know, certain students go on certain kinds of trajectories throughout a, a, an academic course that we might be offering for them. And there are different things that you might um, put in your product for those different learners going through those different trajectories. So we, we like to look for where we see differences um, among our learners 
to Jim's point around the outcomes. Um, but we also, you know, there there are there is sometimes some value in saying, on average, this this is a, something that does tend to work for learners, mm -hmm. and we're going to go ahead and and use that information to improve learner outcomes on average. Right. So I just wanted to add one quick thing, which I think probably Michelle's team, I'm curious to hear, may consider so well. You know, we talk about a process, but processes have inputs, right? And so I think part of the understanding generalizability is understanding and better defining the inputs as well as the outputs, right? Like it, you know, and part of that is the the conversation we've had around context and, and part of it may be other things related to the, the, the way in which you're implementing a, a system or the way in which you're, you know, uh, dispersing a curriculum across multiple states or, right? I mean, but those are all the types of inputs that the more we can clearly define those and make those part of the the way we report out this information, the more we might find people who find that useful and be able to say, oh yeah, that was implemented over here, but that seems a lot similar to the problem I'm having than I had originally thought. And maybe that's mm -hmm. something I want to try. Absolutely. And, and, and Aaron, you kind of hit the nail on the head where you said, you know, this is, this is what turns this into, into a collaborative effort in our organization. And I know our organization doesn't represent every organization out there doing this work. Um, we were, we, our learning engineering teams function in tandem with our implementation services team. So we can talk to our, our consultants who are out there in the field helping schools and districts implement these products. Um, we can collect data on how those implementations have been set up, what they're structured for. So for example, is a student taking a course as part of a credit recovery program or is this a first time credit? That's actually a huge difference mm -hmm. in the way that a student will experience um, their, their learning journey. And that's a fairly simple thing for us to be able to understand. Um, we work very, very closely with a learning design team. So we have folks who implement research-based design um, into our products. And that is another input that we can use to understand what is being presented to, to students, um, how they're going to be interacting with it. We work very closely with our user experience design team. What is built into the product that allows a student to be able to know what they need to do next versus spin in some sort of unproductive, um, you know, uh, unproductive loop of persistence, you know, where they're they're banging their head against a wall. Um, we work very closely with the data science team. We have very big data <laughs> at Edmentum and, and being able to understand um, what that data is telling us requires many techniques that we that we borrow from data science. Um, so there are many inputs, I would say, to our learning engineering process here at Edmentum um, and many different places that our outputs then land as well. So sometimes the guidance might be to take a look at how we're giving implementation services, um, you know, in a particular context. Sometimes it might be changing the content. Sometimes it might be updating a user interface. Um, but, but those collaborations are an incredibly important part of the process. Yeah, and and I think, Michelle, one of the things you're, you're we were talking about there reminded me of I think it's the title was learning engineering as a team sport. Jim, does that sound like the title we used uh, for as, yes. as as part of the uh, the proceedings from from the Icicle Conference? And we talk a little bit about you know learning engineering being done correctly and effectively means that it's not um, it, all of those teams are working concurrently. It's not a handoff, right? So I think that's one of the other pieces that becomes really important here is. It's not that the design team hands it off to the implementers, hands it off to the uh, the data scientist, hands it off to whoever's doing the evaluation. It's those people are, are all working collectively, collaboratively through the whole learning engineering process, through the development cycle, through the implement. Everyone is communicating collectively, concurrently. That that's a big difference, and that's that's a big shift in the model that I've seen. Um, implemented broadly across uh, private sector, but also especially in in higher education, where uh, you know a lot of those groups have been hired to sort of live in different departments, let alone you know within an institution, let alone trying to collaborate co you know concurrently o over and over. And so I think that's a big shift in the way that people think about the work that's being done. You know, uh, yeah. go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> no, you go. <laughs> I I just wanted to. Um, 
point out the elephant in the room that there are teams that are doing just what Aaron said. They're working collaboratively. They're using data. They're using human-centered design methodology and engineering methodologies. Um, and they don't call it learning engineering. Um, those are out there. And there, and there are teachers that are doing learning engineering. If you look at the definition, um, but 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 that but that's not every teacher, and that's not every design team. Um, so I guess our goal is to help more um, teams to adopt the kind of um, practices that we are um, see in some really effective teams doing learning engineering. Uh, I was going to actually mention two things. One is that uh, for those of you who may not be as much on the technical side, um, but you're involved with producing a commercial product, there's real marketing opportunity here too. I mean, I think your customers are interested in hearing the process by which products are being improved and understanding that when they purchase whatever you're creating to understand that they're contributing information that is going to go through successive improvement and they're not just buying into a static offering, I think is something that can be very, very compelling. It certainly has been my experience. So um, there is value for this investment. Um, and then, of course, I forgot the second item I was going to mention. So it's the way it goes. I do have uh, uh, some little motivational questions and you who are listening um, can play along with this. Um, first of all, I wanted to thank again, we have with us today, um, Jim Goodell, Aaron Kessler, and Michelle Barrett. And um, my uh, first question is going to be, what might the term iteration have to do with learning engineering? And I have multiple choice, of course. Um, a, um, a method of repeating concepts ever louder to improve learning. Um, B, a process of enunciating to improve comprehension. C, the process involving learning from prior implementation, or D, removing the word it from any educational text. Do we have any good guesses here? Any reflections on any of those answers, whether there's a good fit? Well, I'm gonna go with C, Michael, um, but um, I'm sure we could think of some E, F, and G. That's uh, right. I'm going to go with C as well, but I'm curious if anybody's ever tried D and if they've reported out how that went, because <laughs> that strikes me as um, a bad idea. I'll have to go with C too, Michael. Wonderful. I figured you all might get right get that right away. So, But I do like that idea, Aaron, of removing the, the IT from everything. Um, who was it? Somebody wrote a whole book without certain letter in it. So, um, so Michael, um, I, since you'd talked about removing IT from everything. Um, I, I just <laughs> wanted, to segue, up, Jim. <laughs> wanted to bring up the point that learning engineering doesn't have to be a technology product. Um, there, we have some examples that were written about in the um, ICICLE conference proceedings that uh, are pretty low tech, but they involve the learning engineering process. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think what, what usually drives us towards the technology, of course, is the ability to work with, collect and work with a lot of data. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it certainly applies to all types of learning and the ways that we engage learners and the way we think as educators. So yeah, absolutely. Um, Jim did mention the proceedings. So I'll just mention you can find the proceedings to our 2019 conference on the website at uh, sagroups.ieee.org backslash icicle. So um, let's keep going with our conversation here. Um, and uh, clearly there is a person called a learning engineer because uh, we have one of those people who is on the call right now. Um, and uh, we just mentioned the fact that uh, there may be people doing a lot of learning engineering who don't call themselves learning engineers. Um, who, who do you think, I mean, is the, so is there always a person called a learning engineer in order to engage in those processes? Should there be? Um, wh what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll pipe in here, Michael. Um, 
So the way I see this is that for any process, you know, there, there emerge a set of best practices that, that um, come from experience with that process. And our learning engineers on my team are people who understand that process and understand what needs to be done to facilitate that process in running through. I, I just described a ton of uh, different teams that we work with across Edmentum. And so our lear learning engineers really shepherd the process. They understand it well. They understand the goals and the outcomes that we're trying to achieve with the process. And they are able to engage these um, uh, cross-functional and, and complicated conversations, you know, even internally, uh, those of you who have worked in, in organizations, which is probably almost everyone on the phone knows that um, getting everybody pushing in the same direction can be a really mm -hmm. challenging thing for an organization. Um, so having folks who really understand the best practices, who can make sure that the team doesn't get in a rut or spin on something that might not be as, as, as productive, who can um, ensure that the iterative cycles are happening at a, at a pace that is sufficient for actually implementing continuous improvement, those are really important roles. Our learning engineers play those roles. Of course, the learning engineers on our team also have background in learning sciences. They have background in um, data sciences. They have background in psychometrics or, or measurement um, in the modeling of what learners um, know and can do. So, so we, we really do go out there and look for folks who have um, enjoyed being in the sweet spot or the intersection of those ideas and concepts so that they can really bring those rich experiences to the team. It's a rare breed. Do you find it's hard to find people, Michelle, who have that that mix of experiences? You know what, Michael, I would have said maybe four or five years ago, it was a rare enough breed. It was harder to find. I'll share that we do have open positions for learning engineering at Edmentum and recruiting for that is actually going swimmingly well. So we are starting to see um, a number of institutions, post-secondary institutions, training um, uh, people to become learning engineers, training people in this um, general process and practice. We also see a lot of um, folks who maybe were involved in instructional design but got really excited about the data and started mm -hmm. to expand their skills. I think um, at the very beginning of this call, um, it was mentioned that we have lifelong learners out there now. And as people start to understand the, the power and the impact that you can have by combining some of these disciplines, we, we do start finding more, um, more people who can sit in that intersection really well. So I'm going to jump in and say, right, that's, a one, that's an awesome model and one that I think we're starting to see scaled, right? Like we're starting to see that become more and more popular and more and more um, organizations are taking on that, that structure. But I also think that as Jim pointed out, right, th there's also places where this is in place already and it's just not called mm -hmm. that right and, and so I'll, I'll give an example within MIT's open learning there's what's called the digital learning lab and and we've got a group of people who work uh, internally collectively within the DLL to talk about learning science and and principles of learning and ideas and share but they are located and actually hired within their departments these are people who have deep expertise PhD level people within biology within physics and and they are sort of continuing to develop their own understandings of the learning side while applying that within their disciplinary approaches um, and it becomes much more of a distributed team knowledge so it's not just that one person or even that that person has to have all of the understanding it's that they have to understand where they go for those other expertise and value them and understand how to apply them and bring them into their process um, so, so I think that's just, it's not to say that one's right and one's wrong. It's to mm -hmm. say there's a lot of different approaches that can be leveraged to, to engage in the learning engineering process. So part of it will be dependent on what does your organization have in terms of its internal capacity um, to, to bring this out. And, and maybe even if you don't have all of those internal capacity, how do you partner with other organizations or with other groups? to gain that, that knowledge and that expertise to be able to apply these pieces. So I think there's a lot of different and unique ways in which this can be applied. And, and we're just starting to see the surface emerge of, of, of all of these different examples. And then the other thing, I, I, to, not to rant too much, but <laughs> I'll come back to the idea of 
Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing this around systems development. So we've been talking about this from right. a perspective mostly of of developing experiences for maybe learners or or systems in which learners do. But there's also just the like, how do you, how do you build an effective LMS, right? That's a whole system hmm. that, right, that, that like has all sorts of crazy things behind it that that can be engaged in a learning engineering process that is even one step removed or, or sort of nested above the problem of supporting the individual learners who are, who are going through a, a process. So I just, it's, it's to say there's lots of different levels to this and lots of different opportunities for people to, to engage. And so just because you don't have the title doesn't mean that you're not doing the work. And I think that's important. So even if you don't have the title, you, you, you may find your people within Icicle. So uh, uh, don't, don't let that uh, keep you away by any means. Um, I'm gonna go to another question right now. Um, so again, all of you out there can, can try your best. Um, why might learning engineers be interested in models? Um, A, because engineers like building scale representations. B, because a healthy physique is motivational. Or C, because having a concept to reflect on and modify helps improve understanding of learners and how to design better learning engagement, or D, both B and C, the motivational physique, as well as the uh, improving uh, understanding of learners and better design. What do we think out there? Well, I'm gonna go with C again, Michael. And, I and your rationale? Well, uh, we want to, um, a model helps us to take a complex um, situation and understand it um, in different ways. Uh, models are also used as a tool for learning so that you can, um, you can present um, a way for someone based on their background knowledge to understand a new concept without complete, maybe completely deeply understanding it the way an expert would. Um, but experts can also use models to help um, make sense of a complex world. So not trying to press the point, but what you're saying is being a learning engineer, you could also realize your, your goal of becoming a model modeler someday. So that's, that's important. Um, or, or a model. Or a model, that's right, that's right. Um, I mean, I, I only bring up modeling because I think it is a fundamental part of what we talk about when we're using data um, as part of this process. And that is it doesn't always remain um, abstract. In fact, trying to create some sort of model and a representation that we can then reflect on, act on, and then modify when we learn, uh, when we gather more information and continue to refine that. Um, uh, I, the, the power, I used to be a marine ecologist and did lots of modeling, um, but very different kinds of data. So it's not only learning engineering um, that uses this, but it's an incredibly powerful tool with a long history. So, um, so were, you with, were you the cover model for the um, marine science um, journal or something like that, that? That was it. It was, I, I, I was on the cover with other cetaceans, so. Go ahead, Aaron. I don't <laughs> Let's even get off of to, that topic I'm not, quickly. I'm not sure how to follow that one up. No, I, so I think what's, I think what's interesting, and, and I just want to bring up is that, um, you know, within within our organization, Icicle, we've also been talking about, you know, learning engineering being ethical, and so talking about these ideas of models from an ethical standpoint too, in terms of like, mm. who does the model represent? It does is it representative and equitable, and and are we thinking about these things? So so I, I you know. I think that's a really important piece, which is to say, sometimes quantitative modeling hasn't always gotten the best rap around that very thing, right? And so um, for those that are, are maybe new to the community, I think it's important that we continue to push that, that question and that we're asking and really challenging things of ourselves as we engage in these processes about you know, what does this mean from an a standpoint of equity? What does this mean from who does it represent? And, and why and what are the sort of inherent challenges that we face because we need to do better on some of these things. So yes. I just wanted to say that as sort of as a community, it is something that's we've been giving a lot of thought and, and people are you know ch uh, uh, trying to tackle some of those challenges in, in the work that they do. Thanks, Aaron. 
um, I know we, we talked about, we touched on before that there are some programs that are preparing um, learning engineers um, using that title. I know uh, one of those programs is at Carnegie Mellon. Um, people like Ken Kettinger and, uh, and um, uh, gosh, what am I thinking? Steve, um, he's going to kill Steve me. Ritter. Because I, Steve and Ritter, thank you. Group and, yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's the medals the program. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Jim. And then also we have, um, we also have uh, at Boston College, we have uh, Janet Claudner and the group there. I know there are other programs that are either getting started or have been underway. Do any of you want to mention any of those or are you aware of any? Uh, I don't have any others at the moment. I think there's um, a number of programs that have been doing similar work. So for for example, you know, Stanford's, there's a program at Stanford around mm -hmm. instructional technology that has for years sort of been, been working around this, this idea and probably um, on the verge of, of, of um, bringing that to the forefront in terms of applying the learning sciences and, and doing that with technology. So I, I think there's a number. I will say, you know, a lot of those programs for people that are, that are listening that might be in the industry side of things are trying to make connections with people outside of the academy to provide authentic learning experiences for their students. And so if you have interest in, in any of these programs from you know, a standpoint of, hey, it'd be really great if we could have one of them work on, you know, one of their students work on a project with us or, or bring some ideas to, to our community, um, you, should, you should get in contact with programs that are in the area and maybe ones that, the, that Michael mentioned, because they are looking for opportunities. We at MIT hosted one of the BC interns um, last fall. I think it was. It's hard to keep track of time at this very moment. Um, and, and it was a great experience for sort of everyone involved. And so, you know, I encourage those out in the community that, that want to sort of maybe test the waters that that might be an, an entry point for, for organizations to, to consider. Absolutely. And, and I think this goes back also just to Aaron's comment that it won't always be called learning engineering. Um, but there are programs out there that are preparing folks with the kinds of skills that are, are incredibly useful to working in this space. Um, there are also internships um, with, within industry, for example, we, we host two interns um, in the summer that, that we um, will partner with academic institutions for as well. So um, there, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for folks who are interested and engaged. Um, back to Aaron's point related to thinking about our models and who they're working for. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I would love to see is, um, you know, continued increase of diversity um, within our, our pool of folks who are working in learning engineering. I think that that is one way to um, help make sure that the conversations about models and who they're working for um, do help us, you know, always kind of check ourselves um, and, and make sure that we are considering each of our, each of the learners who are out there using our products. So. Great. Um, I'm going to uh, ask each of our, uh, each of our guests here today. Okay. Call them, call them guests. They're just part of the whole icicle family. Um, uh, to give us any sort of last little parting thoughts. Um, but first, I'm going to share that this uh, podcast is really going to be coming out on a semi-monthly basis. Um, and I say semi because we'll see how much uh, we have to get the right speakers and the right timing and um, people have busy schedules. So, but that's our goal. Um, there are many topics that we've discussed and I would love to hear what your thoughts are about these topics or people you'd like to hear speak. I'll just read a few of those topics. One is uh, using data in interesting ways, another uh, learning sciences, the role of emotion in real life. Um, another is making learning engineering concrete, creating student projects that engage learning engineering. Um, we touched on this, is there learning engineering without digital technology? Um, looking at learning engineering and instructional design and looking at those two different, well, or very much interrelated practices. Um, another one is hiring for learning engineering, our last topic that we were just discussing. Um, how do you cultivate learning an, a learning engineering mindset in a diverse team is one of those uh, topics that we've discussed. Another is um, how can learning engineering be infused in instructional design degrees, certificates, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of topics that we've discussed having podcasts on. If there's a topic that's of particular interest to you, 
that I just read, or um, if you have another topic that you'd like us to address, that would be great. Um, you can find, as I mentioned earlier, the proceedings from our 2019 conference on the website. Again, that's sagroups.ieee.org backslash icicle, I-C-I-C-L-E. Um, the Learning Engineering Group, ICICLE, has a community call on the third Wednesday of the month, um, typically. We sometimes move it, so check the website. Um, at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, and 1 a.m. the following day in China. Um, and we do have, in China and Singapore, we do have uh, participants from all over the world, and we do urge you to participate. Um, we won't provide you with a hot toddy if it's 1 a.m., but hopefully you'll have one by your side. Um, and uh, uh, we do urge you to join in. Um, if you have any questions, um, the way to reach us right now is feel free to email me at my uh, business address, which is Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at matchmakeredlabs.net. Um, so if you have any comments or questions or want to add to this, um, please do let me know. So I'm going to just turn back to our, our, uh, our today's uh, speakers and uh, get any parting thoughts from them. Uh, let me start with you, Jim. Well, since the topic of today's um, podcast is um, what is learning engineering, I'll end with the official definition. Learning engineering is a process and a practice that applies the learning sciences using human-centered engineering design methodologies and data-informed decision-making to support learners in their development. And you can find that on the website. Yep. Thank you for that, Jim. Aaron? Yeah, thanks, everybody. So I, I think for those that are listening, being part of this community for the last couple of years has been something I've really enjoyed. There's a lot of diverse ideas about learning engineering and the learning engineering process and how this can work for different organizations. And so, you know, maybe there's some things you heard today that you're like, yeah. I'm totally in alignment with that. And maybe there's some things you're like, I have some thoughts to share. Uh, and so we welcome that. Uh, please come to the community call. Please come join the SIG. Um, you know, we don't always agree on everything, but it is a very collegial and, and welcoming place to have these conversations and, and to, to be able to share your ideas and most importantly, contribute. So, you know, we don't claim to have all of the, the answers yet. This is an emerging field and emerging set of work and practices and processes. And so the more that we can have people come and be part of the community and share those ideas, the better that the whole process and the whole experience will be. So I welcome everybody to come and join and be part of the conversation. Thank you, Aaron. And Michelle. Well, I'll just say it's an exciting time when you see new um, ways of working emerge that can help our learners and their lifelong uh, learner uh, trajectories become more successful. So it's an exciting time. I definitely echo Aaron and um, Jim's warm welcome to the community. Um, come get involved um, and, and we would love to continue the conversation. Wonderful. Well, thank you everybody for listening. This is uh, the Icicle podcast, um, IEEE Icicle. And this podcast was on the topic of what is a learning engineer? Thanks for joining us. We look forward to you joining the community and seeing you back here for our next podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.